When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. And for today's episode, I really wanted to dive into persecution delusion. It was very alive and strong during my years in the group. I don't think it was that strong in the beginning. However, as as time progressed, I could really see this stronghold, this strong idea of persecution of the bishops after us, of everyone is out to destroy us, of Freemasons trying to bring us down. And I wanted to approach this in a way to reach the audience, uh, those who were in the same group that I was in. So I'll be using a lot of Catholic terminology, and I'll be really actually using canon law. And I believe strongly that if canon law were used appropriately, if it were used at all, then many of these abuses and uh, delusions could have very easily uh, been avoided. Um, but with with that being said, I just wanted to set set the mood that this episode is going to be diving into canon law. We'll be looking at uh, the laws from uh, 607 to 628 pretty much so if you if you have a canon law book or if you have access to the internet which i'm pretty sure you do you can go ahead and check those out and follow along that I really remember from this group that I was in was having this feeling that anyone who was with Father Bing, anyone who was in this group was special. Uh, I remember even before when I was uh, contemplating joining or even, you know, when I was in, I think it was like my first year during my, we would call it postulancy. I remember being told Wow, Ryan, look, you you joined us and you know if you stay, you're gonna be the first Salvadorian priest in this special community, in this in this group movement chosen by God to bring salvation of souls. And I was thinking, wow, all right, that sounds pretty good. And I felt very special. I felt really uh, especially 
chosen by God to have this mission. And I remember other people, other members being told, um, for example, I'm going to make up a name. Uh, Tommy, look, wow, you're going to be the first European or the first uh, Caucasian member to become a priest of this group. Wow, how special you are to be here. And so they really, um, I guess you, you can call it love bombing, where you love bombing is uh, a term used when they make the member, especially in the beginning, to feel very special. So that that's something which I really felt early on. Um, it didn't last that long, but it felt nice knowing that, wow, I'm going to be the first Salvadorian. And I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm just here for the ride. So, so I joined. And something that I saw throughout the years was a, a strong us versus them vision. And I mentioned how I've already tried to establish how they made us, or at least me personally, how they made me feel that this group was totally special. Was that I was in this in this mission created and chosen by God. And I'm like, wow, I have this privilege. I have this, I guess like, I feel above, but then they made this us versus them mentality. So they would mention about how um, the seminarians from other from other groups from another diocese they would tell us, "Well, look at them. They don't fast like we do. They don't pray as much as we do. Um, they don't speak Latin." They don't do Latin mass. They gorge themselves. They're gluttonous. Some of them might even be dating. Some of those priests and bishops are abusive, probably most of them. And so that really created this stronger us versus them mentality. And I wanted to, you know, be real. Uh, I I do believe that there are some bishops who might be, um, well, we know, we see the newspapers. They're not no angels. And sadly, uh, sometimes there are good priests who do get silenced or punished uh, when, in fact, you know, perhaps these priests should be more uh, treated with honor, you know, for standing up. Um, but putting that aside, you know, because yes, we know that those things do happen, but I'm trying to focus once again on, on the movement that I was in. So they would use examples of, you know, bad priests, bad bishops from other groups to show that this group that we were in stands out and that it is special and that if if there are bishops who are going against some priests, then most likely uh, bishops will be going against us. And so really they've created this strong us versus them mentality. But inside my interior struggle was, okay, um, as a Catholic, like how, like how do I process this? 
because there are you know I, I mean i'm catholic but then it's like i'm we're creating this new church which is separated but we're trying to uh stay uh, as as they would say in the group uh we need to be incognito so we don't get caught so this term was really used and was really confusing for me because in my mind i'm thinking are we catholic like um are we like are we really in line with the bishops and the church because it looks like we're you know having this strong division but we had to be quiet about it and so i wanted to bring my frustrations my confusion and as i do this podcast i imagine myself talking with the younger me the me who had a lot of questions questions which couldn't be answered questions which if i asked them it would come off as being rebellious um so from from this moment i'm going to be uh giving some uh, more examples but also like i said we're going to be diving into canon law so i'm going to be talking about the erection and the suppression of a religious house in a diocese and in in order for a bishop to allow uh, a religious institute to establish a house or as they say in canon law to erect the house there has to first be written permission written consent that the bishop is going to allow this establishment to to be on pretty much on his property on his diocese so like father bing he isn't um a bishop uh but first he is the founder and in order to from this is from my understanding of canon law in order for him to establish a to erect the house there has to be permission of the bishop and so he gets his permission and then our our communities started to grow so we had a community in Dover, Delaware. We had a community in Nebraska. We had a community also in San Jose, Philippines. And that was, of course, with the written permission. But I also wanted to get into the suppression of a community where the bishop has the right to, to take that back, to take back that permission. But before he gives that consent for a community to be there uh the bishop also has i guess he has rights and duties himself and one of his one of the things that a bishop needs to have in mind is that you know when this when this religious house uh institute is established here are the members going to be able to live out their constitutions live out their religious life and that's very important because in Nueva Ecija, uh, that's in the Philippines, in San Jose, I remember we were told that the bishop was actually trying to get us to stop living the life according to our constitutions. Now, I don't know the truth. I don't know what was happening there because it was only one person telling us the story. Uh, the superior at, in that location at that time. So I don't know what was really going on. Uh, but also in canon law, it says that like for monasteries, and I believe it's around 
611 or around 616 of the canon law um, that monasteries like where the nuns and where the monks live that only uh, the Holy See, which is the Vatican, can uh, suppress a house. So what happened there in Nueva Ecija was that I remember in the middle of the night during my novitiate, we were told to get up, pack our bags, and in five minutes we're going to leave, or maybe ten minutes. But but it doesn't matter how much time they gave us. What What happened was just that in the middle of the night, you pack and you leave and we're on a bus and the, you know, we don't have that many belongings, just a few shirts, socks, a couple slippers. <laughs> if no one stole your slippers, I mean, <laughs> we had very little belongings. And so it was very easy to just pack up and go. And then we were in another location and that was Laguna Philippines. And from what I, from what we know, Yes, we did have permission to be there in Laguna. Uh, but they really brought this idea that what's happening is a strong persecution. Because like I mentioned before, how they, they would use examples of some bishops being, uh, you know, not, not good people. And they would use those examples of if anything happens, it's because they're bad and... Uh, we need to be incognito. We need to hide our members. We need to protect our members because, you know, we're the special group. That's the vision. That's the mentality. And we all embraced it, or at least I, like, full-on embraced it. And I'm like, man, these priests and these bishops. And they would tell us that, uh, I remember there was, someone said, I don't remember who, but that there were spies of the priests and uh of the diocese of Nueva Ecija and they were looking at our compound, taking pictures and, you know, being spies. So there was this strong amount of fear that these priests are probably communists or that they're Freemasons or that they are with the Illuminati and that they're really out to get us. And so, so we were in, in Laguna now, we, we just got, I'm not sure if we got kicked out or if, because we, I mean, I never saw a letter of the bishop saying you're no longer allowed here, but I just remembered we were in Nueva, in Nueva Ecija and, and the issue was that um, the bishop was trying to get our community to break our constitutions, which I find to be, I mean, now that I'm out, I find that to be very unlikely. But I want to give you another example, and this was in Alabama, and I remember we were doing a an event, and we had to wake up at one in the morning. We had to join Father Bing for mass and for prayers, and then he even did exorcism. I think that was like the first time he did exorcism. I believe he did. I he might have done the solemn exorcism or the Pope Leo the Thirteenth. I don't know, but I remember he. The prayer was just so long, but I remember I remember before he started doing this exorcism or long deliverance prayer, he was saying to, to the members, I need to especially do this deliverance or exorcism uh, for the California members 
because the bishop there, you know, the cardinal there, he's cursing you. He's cursing this place. All the members from L.A., they're cursed. And I'm thinking, my God, really? I'm getting cursed? For what? I mean, he doesn't even know me. And so, but that really fills the mind. I was, I just turned 17 and that really filled my mind with this fear that, oh my gosh, I'm being cursed by a freaking bishop or cardinal. And I need to stay close to, to this group. I mean, it really brought this fear because in my first year, there were times when I wanted to leave because I felt that mm, this isn't really what I signed up for, but you know, they tell me I got to obey. So whatever. And then now it's like, wow, I'm getting cursed and I'm getting hex and I'm getting demons sent my way. Wow. I, all right. So I'm going to really stay latched to this community. So, so I want to give you a bit of an understanding of how it is that I felt and perhaps many members felt at the time. And it could be that there are some supporters who really have this fear and this paranoia. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, these bishops, they're bad. They're out to get us. And, you know, it's like, okay, for, for a moment, let's just put our emotions on the side just for a moment. I'm not saying rejecting our emotions because it's a lot of emotions is really in this topic. Because at that time, you know, thinking, man, this bishop is cursing me. And you're telling me that I got to, you know, play by the rules. Like that's, that doesn't sound right. Well, I mean, let's, let's take a break and from the emotional side. And let's look at the uh, canon legal law side, I guess I could say. Because one thing that Father Bing would always say is that the devil is legalistic. And so, I mean... It's, it's kind of awkward that he would say that so much that the devil like counts all your sins and he knows all you do and you know he's counting everything. And yet when it comes to the legalities of the Catholic Church, which he claims to you know be a faithful servant to, you really see that you know there are a lot of rules being bent. And I'm not bringing this up to downplay Father Bing. I bet he has great intentions. However, I do want to see uh, transparency in in the Catholic Church. I do want to see that uh, there's no more abuse or twisting things and getting people all confused. And Father Bing, he's also supposed to be a faithful servant. He's not above the laws. I mean, he's he's telling us you have to be faithful to the laws. You have to obey everything. And then you see these, you know, twists and turns of canon law. And then it's like, you know, going back to my last episode on how they would say, well, the salvation of souls is the highest law. So even though we're, you know, going against these bishops, uh, they're persecuting us. And the highest law is the salvation of souls. So uh, we're good to go. All right, let's go. So uh, I'm ho I'm hoping that this episode is really going to open a few minds on just my my personal perspective, and that you can see my confusion at that time. So going back, I believe it was um, Canon six one six on the suppression of communities. 
of religious in, uh, houses, when it came to the monks and the nuns, I mentioned that only the Vatican, only the Holy See has the right to suppress it. So it can't really, it can't be the bishop. It has to come from the Vatican. And they told us this. And they told us that, hey, in in San Jose, we're all going to leave. We're not going. We're not allowed there anymore. Uh, the bishops are persecuting us. They don't want us. They're trying to get spies. Uh, but there's a loophole around it. And I was like, well, what's the loophole? And the loophole is that they can't remove the monks and the nuns. It's like, okay, so where are you going with this? Well, we have to be incognito and we have to continue our missions for the salvation of souls. So you're going to be dressing up like monks. And so they would <laughs> they would give us hoods. And every time like, we were, either we were inside the building 24-7 like a prison, or like when we'd walk outside, we'd have to have our hoods on to make us look like uh, religious monks. And looking back, it really does sound very culty. But in, in canon law, you know, this is also one of the things of the bishop is that, you know, before signing the consent for the permission, he want, he's going to have to know that the this religious group is going to be able to live out their constitutions and live out their works proper to their constitutions. And this is... This is actually something that bothered me, you know, years later. At that time, I was just so, uh, I guess you can say brainwashed. I hate using the term brainwashed because it, it makes me feel like a big dupe, like a sucker. But that's, let's just use that word. I felt so brainwashed years later uh, because I was thinking, how come we had to do these things? I mean, I didn't. One of the one of the things why I wanted to leave uh, in 2012 was because I was noticing that we were doing things that I didn't sign up for, and so I'm thinking, well, I mean, now that I'm starting to understand canon law a little bit better, and you know, my rights as a religious member is like I I the bishop did have a right to want to remove us. Hello everyone, Ryan Anthony Hernandez here, and if you enjoy listening to the Truth That Heals podcast, and if you've seen all of the work that I put in, and you would like to support, I do have a Patreon. It's not a lit page just yet, but I'm working very hard to hopefully make it a much more exciting Patreon. However, if you would like to assist me to help all the work that I do, uh, you can check out my Patreon, and if you would like to be a member, that would help me out so much because there has, there are a lot of hours that I put in doing the research, in doing the recordings. It's a lot of work, and I don't really get paid for this. But if you would like to help, I do have a Patreon, and that is, which you can check out, is uh, www.patreon.com slash truththatheals podcast again that's patreon.com slash truth that heals 
podcast. All of your assistance, contributions really helps me out in paying gas and paying bills and being able to, you know, pay for the Zoom membership. It's a lot of things that I'm I'm doing and your assistance really helps me to keep going forward. So thank you very much and have a good day. I wanted to go back now to to the fact that we were twisting canon law because I said that in canon law, the one who has the right to suppress a, a monastery isn't the diocesan bishop, but it's actually the Holy See. And so they would use that as a loophole for us to go back to Nueva Ecija and to dress up um, as monks. So we had these hoods. And I remember... Uh, I remember having this fear because they would tell us that these priests from the diocese, that they're going by our compound to take pictures and to spy on us. And so I remember having my hood and having my head down and it's like, it's super hot. So I'm mad sweaty and, and I'm, I'm walking on the comp on the compound in the compound with my head down hood, you know, hood on, but then we would go to our, our house or prison and it was just i don't know how how to explain it because we all we all had this like idea that we were being watched and that this and that the rest of the church was out to get us so yes so this is now i'm kind of thinking out loud so yes you know i joined to be a catholic religious uh, and maybe even the priest, um, you know, first of all, I just wanted to really do good things and maybe some missionary work. Uh, but then I, I started seeing this activity and at the moment I didn't think much of it because I, my way of thinking was that, uh, this is, uh, God's chosen group and that everyone else, every bishop and, Every priest is part of the Freemason, and they're if, if they say anything about us, then they're actually just persecuting us, and they're agents of Satan. That's pretty much what I thought because I mean, going back to to that uh, trip in Alabama when we had to wake up early and you know join Father Bing for morning prayers, and that was my first time I believe joining Father Bing for morning prayers, and hearing him share that you know the bishop. Of California was cursing me and that you know I really needed this exorcism. It's like, okay, you know, I'm I'm buying into all this. This this is all juicy to me. It's like, wow, so so outside every bishop and priest is gonna be evil. And I'm not saying that there aren't evil priests or evil bishops. You know, absolutely there are some terrible priests and bishops, but the way that this father being made us feel was that with him is the only way of having protection and that only with him you're actually being a real catholic that's that's how i felt but you know as i started getting older my i guess you could say my spidey senses started coming into coming into play a bit more and then i want to get into now um canon law 628 Section two, because now this part is talking about 
the right a bishop has to visit a community. So for this next portion that I'm going to be talking about in this podcast, we'll be looking at Canon's uh, Canon Law 628, Sections 2 and 3, and this is regarding visitation, where the bishop has the right to visit a community, especially in his diocese. Um, but in particular, in particular, in in the group that I was in, uh, we had this thing called the um, I think it's called apostolic visitation. I don't remember the exact terms. I mean, it's been a while. But that's when the Vatican, um, not the the bishop of the diocese, but the Vatican uh, sends a delegate or delegates to come and visit. Now, before this even happened, I remember being told that um, like we were pretty much given a warning or like a heads up. Hey, you know, uh, there might be visitations and, um, you know, what, what they might be doing is they might be setting up spies, uh, to watch, to watch on, on how we're living, living the life. And I don't remember the exact words that were used and I don't remember who it was, who was like coaching us. Um, but what I do remember is how I felt and I felt the way I felt was like, Oh my gosh, this is disgusting. You know, they're going to be, you know, bringing spot, you know, making us turn into spies. And, it, <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's really what happens. Um, but the way I see it now is that maybe they just want, you know, members uh, to speak freely. And from, from what I understand is that uh, when, because I wasn't there when there were, when there were visitations, because I've moved around quite a bit. And I remember, you know, being told by other members that, yeah, um, the bishop, you know, a bishop from this place, you know, came and they're asking us questions. And I even remember one uh, ex-sister uh, or brother uh, sharing with me in that, yeah, uh, we were asked questions because um, some, some ex-members or some members uh, were complaining during those interviews uh, that uh, bad things were happening. And a certain superior told us uh, that we needed to protect, protect the group. And so I asked this, this person, so, so what'd you do? Did you tell the truth and say, yeah, those bad things were happening? She said, then this person's like, absolutely not. You know, I was, I was telling them what, what I was pretty much coached to say now, I'm trying to not make uh, the person's identity known, so I'm just trying to, you know, be very uh, vague in details. Uh, but this is the mentality that we had because it's like, you know, hey, these are the people who are persecuting us, and and the way I saw it was that we kind of had a right to lie to the bishops because you don't trust them. I mean, like I said, going back, they were saying that they might have spies. And then later on, you know, I, I I heard from some members that, you know, during the interviews, some were speaking up and others were like protecting the group, the institute, because there is this mentality that this group is established by God, that, you know, you have to protect it and that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with lying. So it was very, very confusing. Uh, but... 
let's look at uh, Canon 628, where it says it's the right and duty of a, of a bishop to visit. But I want to focus more on section three. And I'm actually going to, you know, straight up quote it, quote it entirely. And it says here, members, uh, Canon 628, section three, members are to act with trust towards a visitator to whose legitimate questioning they are bound to respond according to the truth in charity. Moreover, it is not permitted for anyone in any way to divert members from this obligation or otherwise to impede the scope of the visitation. So what is the, so end, end of quote, but what is the, the goal of the visitation? So it's like, these bishops and and you know the members from the Vatican are going, and like I said earlier, we know that not everyone from the Vatican is perfect, and we know that a lot of BS happens. But in this case, in in this movement, in the Alliance of the Two Hearts, in the the Two Hearts Institutes, you know the the bishops, the the visitator is going. But already so many of the members have no trust. Why? Because we've been trained not to have trust. We've been trained that they're out to persecute us, that they're out to destroy us. There's persecution delusion. And we're, we're trained that in the highest law is the salvation of souls, which I said in the last um, canon law episode. The highest, the supreme law is the salvation of souls. So that was used to pretty much justify, well, if we're going to lie, you know, it's actually a mental reservation and we're we're doing it to protect us because uh, they're actually persecuting us. They want they want to find a reason to persecute us. And I remember at this time of the visitation, my mind was already opening up to the idea that maybe some of the things here that Father Bing is doing is actually deceitful is actually not done in the spirit of transparency. And maybe he's not being a true shepherd. Maybe he's not being a genuine lover of souls because they always say, hey, salvation of souls is the highest law. But I'm seeing this lack of charity where we're trained to look at others as below us, to look at even our family members as below us or as hexed and infested or to look at ex-members as below us or again as hexed and infested when in truth a religious institute i believe instead of looking down on ex-members you're supposed to see them as your brother as your sister as your family or even bishops and priests, you're supposed to look at them with charity and kindness. And the way that this, this movement became culty was by having this holier-than-thou and this us-versus-them mentality. So going back to Section 3 of 628, I was saying how there has to be, you know, no... There has to be this trust, but that no one should really impede uh, a member from being uh, open and to have this trust, especially during a visitation. 
But I remember one of the priests, he was sharing with us, I think it was in Dover, Delaware. And I remember, I remember which priest it was. It wasn't Father Bing. It wasn't Father John, but it was another priest who was high up there in the Philippines. And he was, you know, sharing to us about the visitation that was happening. And he was, and I remember a specific word that he was complaining about. He was, and he mentioned the word scrutinize. They are scrutinizing us. Can you believe it? And it was pretty much a rant on how, you know, they're out to destroy us and how they're out to uh, tear us down. And I was thinking in the back of my head, well, I mean, why are we bothered by that? I mean, we're, we're supposed to be Catholic. We're supposed to be transparent. We're supposed to be, you know, future good priests. No, shouldn't there be this transparency? Shouldn't there be this openness to scrut for scrutiny if there's nothing to worry about then go ahead and scrutinize it go ahead and you know check it up and see that we're living our life properly but if there is this fear of of being scrutinized and i'm starting to think what's going on are we really that holy group that father bing and the rest of the leaders were telling us or is something more sinister happening and so little by little, I started seeing the separation of this culty mentality where it's like we are the, the salvation of the church. We are the true hope of the church. And then you see these other members who just want to live a good Catholic religious life. And so, and so that, you know, to, to give some perspective for the, mem for the listeners, you know, my my goal, especially in this episode, is to really share with you how not everything there was bad. There were some good things that we did, but it was just disturbing seeing how how we were put in a position where we joined, wanting to do good things, wanting to do acts of charity, and then how that was really hijacked. And how we had this fear of even being transparent with the bishops because like, oh my gosh, you know, they're out to get us. But I'm going to end it there. And I want to give a little heads up because on my YouTube, uh, someone commented on my, my last uh, video regarding canon law, which I posted there. And a person asked if I can talk about the 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 sacrament of confession i don't remember the exact wording of of the question um but it was about like that that seal of confession of that uh uh confessor penitent uh confidentiality and i'm going to be diving into into that because that was actually a good question um but the, the way i'm going to try to you know dive into it is by shedding light on how the group really abused confession in a way and also to also um give my give my thoughts on that question because i think it's uh regarding jehovah witnesses and how they also use that i think i'm gonna have to really look at that question but how uh sometimes how abusers can really get away with things with abuse and how abuses are 
repeated over and over again and it seems like nothing is happening to the abusers so that was a good question it's not going to be easy for me to answer but i think that together we can uh get into it and and check it out and uh that is it for today thank you so much everyone for listening uh soon i'll also be dropping in an episode with author michael losh he has written the book mentally diseased so you can check out that episode coming out soon on my youtube and on on spotify on apple and on all major podcast platforms that'll be out next friday but if you want early access you can check out my patreon i will be posting it uh that interview a lot sooner so that's it for today thank you very much and feel free to reach out hit me up uh, my email is truthaheelspodcast at gmail.com i am your host ryan anthony hernandez and you have been listening to the truth that heals podcast